From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We've got nothing but former GMs today for you. Jim Duquette, Bobby Evans, and Ned Coletti. You can hear Jim Duquette on Sirius XM MLB channel. Here is the Duke. The Duke, do we have you? It's Chris Townsend with the A's. How are you doing, Chris? How's everything going? I was just talking about how many golf balls I've hit on the range listening to you and Mike Farron, and uh, we've been stealing ideas for, for, from your guys' great film <laughs> for years. I, I, I've heard that. Uh, you've met, I think you mentioned it to me one other time, which I really appreciate. I, I don't know if we straightened out your golf game while we're at it, but I, I certainly <laughs> like to be the distraction for you. <laughs> well, I, you, know, you know what the thing is, is what, what I really appreciate about you and it's like whether, you know, you know, when we have Billy Bean on or David Forrest or like people yeah. who have been in when you've been an executive, you guys view the game and you see the game differently than the average person. It's just it, it, it is what it is. Well, you know, um, I appreciate that. I, you know, I think, um, you know, when you when you. You know, basically it's been our, our career you know you start out in the front office i never i never set out to get into broadcasting at the end of the day it just kind of took me here um so i you know i thought this was going to be my career being in the front office forever you know and uh i was lucky to take a turn uh on the broadcast side but you know to do it to do it um you know if you have an expertise uh that's an area that um you know you can pass on to to the listener. So I think that, you know, it's given me certainly an advantage. There weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of former general managers when I first got into it. Now there's more out there and around. And when they, I'll tell you this real fast, when they asked me about it at the time, I, I downplayed it. I'm like, you know, I, uh, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. And I, I didn't want too many, I didn't want to get too crowded uh, with other, with other former general managers. If they saw that I, you could work and do your radio show from the, the home office, that, that can be appealing. So, um, you know, since then I've kind of lost out. There've been a couple other GMs that are, uh, that are involved with, uh, with radio or TV now. You know, you think about the tough decisions as someone who runs an organization and obviously I'm sure you're as shocked as we are. I mean, I know Bob Melvin real well. I'm I'm the one that gets yep, him. Yep. I get Bob Melvin. I got his his coach's show. I sold it. I got him paid. So it's like right, I know right, Bob right. well, right? He, he appreciates you, and he's yeah. going to miss you. And <laughs> it, it, and it was what happened yesterday. Just talk about from an executive standpoint. A team calls you. You now give him because. They just picked up Bob's option. Bob was under contract for next season, and now he's leaving for a three-year deal. Like, what is this like from a front office standpoint? So, you know, I know you were you were shocked, and listen, I was I was um, I was surprised. I will I can't say I was shocked because I've seen I've seen this happen before, right? I, like when I was with the Mets and they let Art Howe come to us. Um, I think that was a little bit more surprising. And there was different, each one of these are different circumstances, but um, I was starting to get wind that, you know, the A's are likely to have a little bit of a rebuild going on into, you know, next year and beyond. If, if that's the actual case, then paying Bob 4 million bucks, uh, you know, to manage a team that's going to be in a somewhat of a rebuild mode doesn't, 
doesn't make a ton of sense from a front office side of things. So I was, and I was starting to hear his name mentioned quite honestly with the Mets because they had an opening. Of course, Sandy Alderson's over there. And, yeah. you know, we, I know they've gone down this road with Billy, you know, at least asked for permission on Billy, but, but Bob, I thought was a real natural fit. They have a manager managerial opening San Diego. I was, that's where it surprised me because they got to the, they, they basically beat other teams to the punch and acquired him. And I tell you what, he's a great fit there. As you know, like he's a really good manager and to put him with a veteran team like the Padres, I think it's a really good fit. The thing that gets me though, like if you said to me, Bob's going, cause two years ago, Brian Cashman called Billy Bean yep. to ask about Bob Melvin and, and our owner, John Fisher said, no, um, right. it's one thing if you're going to the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, but to mm-hmm. leave for the pot, I mean, we've had way more success than the Padres. Like, how yes. do you view leaving the A's, who we are perennial winners and we go to the postseason, to going to the Padres, who, let's face it, as of right now, are just the third best team in their own division? Yeah, this is a tough. That is a tough division too, as we just saw this year, right? I mean, LA is always going to be tough. The Giants now have come out of their rebuild and you know to somewhat rebuild. They don't really go into one, but you know they're retooling, whatever you want to call it. And you know the the one thing I'll say, you're you're right that the success has been far far greater in in Oakland, and that's been my criticism of San Diego for a long time. Like, okay, everyone's talking about their their rebuild and they have all these great prospects. Well, it's all great until. You, you put together a major league roster. What does that look like? Can you win? And, and you know, this year was a disaster in San Diego. Um, so, you know, I think they're, they're putting a lot of hope on Bob, you know, and him being able to help some, uh, and push and motivate some of those veterans down there. Um, and they had the fifth highest payroll in all of baseball, which we know doesn't guarantee wins. But, you know, I think that they are, you know, built to try to win now. Where Oakland, it sounds like they're taking a little bit of a step back. I don't know what a step back sometimes is with Oakland. You know, I think, I think, um, I, I don't know what it means. You know, for me, if Bob Melvin, if they're allowing Bob to go, what does it mean for Matt Chapman, Matt Olson? Uh, you know, any, you know, I know Ken is a free agent, but not likely now coming back. What does it mean for Loriano or any of these guys, any of these top players that they, that they have that are like, you know, three years of service time, four years, you know, any of those guys that are going to be free agents in the next two, three seasons, I'm concerned for, for what that's going to look like. You know, and, and we're hearing about, you know, the initial conversations between baseball and the players union about a salary floor. What do you think right. that would do for the game when you look at like our organization or you take Tampa or you take What do you think as a general manager that would be like having a floor where you have to spend, let's just say, a hundred million. You have to spend yeah. it. Does d- does that finally get rid of tanking, which I, I don't think is good for our game? I think it gets rid of tanking. So I'm with, and I'm with you on that. I, I've never, never like even when I was in the front office, I would never even imagine that the, the thought process of tanking. But but the way that way the, the structure is built, it it almost encourages encourages you to do it. You get benefits. In the draft, you get benefits. You know, you, certainly you 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 can pocket. Um, you know, the revenues certainly are higher than your than your uh, salary cost, your payroll overall payroll. So you po- you can pocket you know some money. Uh, you know, this year, next year, whenever the rebuild is for for future years. Uh, so so it'll help in that regard. You know, but I do think that I've always felt there was a you know from a front office perspective here. You know, if your payroll has to be commensurate to your your revenues. Number one, number two, 
you should be given a leeway at least if for, if you think there's a, a one year where you're going to have a down year, your development cycle for your young players isn't quite ready, and you want to have a team that's maybe you know uh, not as competitive for a year, then then I think you should be allowed to do that. You know, giving the flex, give them the flexibility on that. But again, that's just that's just a front office perspective that I felt, but not not going into these five year rebuilds where where like here in Baltimore you know, where I was, I was GM there and my cousin was after me. Like, I don't even know when they're going to come out of this rebuild. They're, they're in year four of a rebuild, you know, at least year four going into year five. And next year they wanted to start winning more games, but I don't know how, how I mean, what does that mean? You lost to almost a hundred games for four, conse- three consecutive seasons. Does that mean losing 90? Is that a successful year? Really? Not in my book. It's not. And I, 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 I can tell you, we've had the Hall of Famer Jim Palmer on the show. We had, yes, Ken, we, had we, we, we had Ken Singleton on like this really yeah. these old, you know, there was the Oriole way back in the day. These old Oriole, yep. this pains them how bad this organization has been. Well, it does. And, you know, I think, you know, uh, you know, Brooks, even Brooks Robinson, who's, you know, way back. He's still he's still, you know, invested in the team, Cal. Uh, Ripken, of course, still, you know, I'm, I, I'm neighbors with Kenny Singleton. We got a chance to talk about the, you know, this, this Orioles team. Like they've had some really, really good Orioles clubs, even though it was 83 was the last time they won the world series. Um, you know, they had some good runs there, uh, you know, for like three out of five seasons, you know, not that long ago, right. 2016 was the last year they were in the postseason, but I think it was 12, 14, 16. They had, they were postseason bound that 14 team, I think, pushed Kansas city, you know, they, they play them in the ALCS. So they've had that level of success even recently. So to go into this type of rebuild for me, I mean, ownership is, you know, pushes it. They're the ones that control it. You know, the GMs, I think, can try to sell them on it. But for me, that's not, that's not the way the sport should be, should be played. I think it's bad for the overall uh, game. So I'd love to see that, you know, getting rid of the only issue I'd say with the floor is generally it comes with a ceiling too, and I'm not I'm against having a, a hard cap. I, you know, I don't think it's good for the game. I don't think it's you know the players will never accept it. So, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll find ways to address this tanking issue uh, without the you know because again, if if they if teams were willing to say to accept the floor without a cap, then I think there's there's ground there. But I, I usually that doesn't that doesn't happen in CBA conversations. You know, one thing that we've talked about here on the program is when our low A team, the Stockton Ports, were taking on the San Jose Giants, and we went to the game, and every single guy the San Jose Giants rolled out was throwing 100 miles an hour. And we're looking at our big club, and we got guys throwing less than 90. Just when you talk about rebuilding a farm system and you're trying to win at the same time, just talk about from from a front office standpoint. It's really tough to do. Well, it, no, it really it really is. I mean, most of the time, you know, you're, again, when when you're in a rebuild and rebuilding, where you know the idea is you're not going to win at the major league level. You're getting high draft picks, first round, second round. You get compensation picks. Um, sometimes you can trade for, you know, the comp, uh, the comp picks, you know, with other teams, with players. So, you know, and, and you, by the way, have a bigger pool on the international side. So, so there's a lot of, a lot of freedom there for teams to go out and, you know, have the extra money to get the better players out there. But when you're trying to win and develop, 
you know, again, that that's a lot more difficult. I, I have to respect, I respect what the Giants were able to do. Um, the Red Sox have done it on occasion. Here's the one thing the Red Sox have done that I appreciate. Every year they 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 expect to be competitive. If in fact it goes off tracks, they pull the plug plug quickly, um, and kind of go through that rebuild for that particular year. But then they reinvest the money the following year. That to me is more in line with what I think we should be expecting in our sport. That type of hey, all right, you're going to have a year where it's a down year, you know, and maybe a bad you know four months. And if you're ten games under five hundred, all right, pull the plug and push the restart button for next year, but let's not do this three, four, five uh, years in a row. Let's end on this. Um, you know, with Melvin leaving, I, I just wonder, you know, I, I know Billy Bean has other things that he wants to do in his life. We've, we've had him on the show to talk about yep. that. I mean, someone like yourself who has done business with Billy, um, mm-hmm. when you just think about him in, you know, Moneyball, the movie and all that kind of stuff, but as someone who did business with him, what, what, what do you think Billy Bean's legacy will be? Well, it, you know what? I mean, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, along with force, but Billy in particular is always one of those guys that, that, you know, maximized the most out of his, out of the payroll that he was given. Um, it's difficult though, when you, you know, when you've been in the game this long and you maybe have had other opportunities to go elsewhere and you don't, and then you don't win a world series. You, oh, I think generally any of the general managers, when we talk about them or we see them in the hall of fame, it's because they've won a world series. I think that's the thing that's been elusive, you know, for him. Um, and so I think that's, that's the, the, you know, he's not ready to retire yet. Doesn't sound like, but he's, you know, he's, he's got a lot of different interests, uh, there, but. Um, I was hopeful, and listen, I'm biased because I, you know, I was a Met GM, and I still do pre and post game for the Mets about a third of their games. I was hopeful Billy would accept the challenge and come over to the <laughs> to New York, but that would have been, you know, sacrificing some of the other things that he that he has in his life and the, you know, the balance that he has in his life. So um, I understand it, but you know, I think from the legacy side, it's always about winning. You know, if he didn't win a World Series, I think that's the thing that kind of stands out more than. It. Well, we always appreciate your time. And, you know, you and Mike, I'm a big fan of your guys' show. I listen to you uh, every morning on XM. And uh, thank you so much for the time. And and I and I, I seriously, I really appreciate what you bring to the show from a standpoint of a general manager, because I don't think there's, you know, there's not a lot of guys that do what you do. And there's a lot of us that have worked in, I mean, I've been in baseball over, for over 30 years, but the fact right, that, right you know when you think from a front office standpoint the the value that you add that we rarely get to hear is 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 really fantastic no i appreciate it i, I tell you the, the gms they they take on a more important role it seems over even over the last five or ten years than ever you know there's so many so many teams that the gms are almost making out the lineup card for crying out loud which i don't agree with but you know, they try to give that perspective, uh, you know, that that uh, that teams are going to uh, have kind of gone down that road. And, uh, you know, some people think it's gone too far. I probably agree more, more times than not. Well, I mean, you think about it. You've got to like like I've said this with with Billy and David. I'm like, think about being a GM right now. One of the main things that you have to do is protect people from COVID. 
And you had to protect your minor leagues. You had to protect the big leagues. You had to set up these bubbles. Like people don't understand how the people who are running these franchises, they oversee everything. There's a lot of pressure there. Well, and and it's different than, you know, the other sports, you know, that like the minor leagues, you know, it's it's six additional teams with all of the players, coaches, uh, manager, like, you know, and, and, and uh, training staff, development staff, uh, performance staff, like it's a huge operation where, you know, the NFL, the colleges are their development system. You know, the NBA, same thing, hockey, you know, you have one minor league team The major league baseball, you know, is unique in that sense. These organizations uh, are, are huge. And so overseeing all of that and, you know, some of the, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old kids, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. Yeah. That's why these front offices are so much bigger now. Well, Hey, we always appreciate the time and you know, I'll be listening. You got it, Chris. Anytime, Chris. All right. Thanks for having me. From the Duke to Bobby Evans. Bobby Evans won three championships with the San Francisco Giants. We always love having Bobby on A's Cast Live. Good afternoon, guys. How you doing, Chris Townsend with the A's? Well, I'm doing great. How's it going? Well, I I, I sat on my couch yesterday for over 12 hours watching three games. It was unbelievable. I did the same. Unbelievable. It was great baseball and, and hard to watch in some cases. Yeah, when you talk about the intensity, what is it like for an executive where essentially you just got to sit there in your box and you're going to watch the game and what happens, happens. It's out of your control, but yet this means everything to you and your career. What is it like? Well, it's 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 absolutely every bit of that. You know, you're 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 watching with such intensity on every pitch, hoping for the outcome. Uh, you know, looking at it, you know, game plans being executed right in front of your eyes, real time decisions being made from the dugout. There's nothing that you can do. You're 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 not able to influence anything at this point. This is completely on the manager and the players and their performance. And it's uh, it's it's pressure is 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 incredible. In fact, I, I remember that one of the most pressurized moments was game seven against the Royals. We've got a we've got a one run lead. And and Boach had told us before the game, if Bumgarner's warming up, he's coming in. And sure enough, here he comes. He's running across the field. And I hear behind me this very calm voice, which was nothing like what I was feeling. This game is over. This this game is over. The voice said, this game is over. And I'm like, we have a one-run lead. I'm not super superstitious, but gee, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I heard that. And I turned around, and this most calm face of Felipe Alou said to me, Bobby, this game is over. And I and, and I, I as much as I wanted to believe him, I just couldn't believe he was that confident. And he was he was dead right. The next next five innings were all ours. Yeah, but in the very end though, it got dicey. Oh, you ain't kidding. And I had I had been sitting in the box with uh with uh, Bruce Bochy's uh, wife and some other families and and I, I convinced everybody, hey, we've got to go downstairs. If we don't go downstairs now, there's no chance we're going to be down there for the final out. And, and she, she's pretty superstitious. So she said, she's like, Bobby, if something happens, you know, and I'm like, oh, goodness. As soon as that ball went by Blanco, I was like, I, I was more worried about Miss, Miss Bochy killing me than I was losing the game. So. No, those are, you know, great, great memories. And that's what uh, all these executives now are dealing with and there's so many moving parts i was just talking about you know over 12 hours of baseball 
it's just, I, I don't, you know, it, it, we can't look at playoff games. We, you know, obviously the, the commercial breaks are longer in national games. And if you're having seven, eight pitching changes, it's going to take the game well past three hours into four hours. Is there anything we can do to, to keep it from being four hours and 32 <laughs> minutes? Uh, yeah, I, I feel your pain. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the way that these pitching changes are occurring now, I mean, like you said, an inning and a third, inning and two thirds. I mean, th- there's, there's, there's nothing. I don't know that there's anything that we can do. I mean, I think baseball's done all they can. I mean, th- this is the drama that we, you know, we live for, and it's just going to get drawn out in the postseason because nobody wants to make a mistake. Nobody wants to leave a guy in too long. I mean, we, it wasn't that long ago, you know, managers were getting fired for leaving guys in too long in the postseason. And, you know, that's not going to happen to these guys. It's just the, the information uh, download is is so great and so uh, strong. They're, they're just not going to take those risks. You know, when I, I think about the rivalry of the Yankees and the Red Sox, I mean, I feel like we've seen that a ton in my lifetime. And I was shocked that Giants-Dodgers postseason had never happened. And you think about this great rivalry <laughs> going all the way back to New York. This this is going to be the most intense Dodger Giant game I think we have ever seen. Uh, what were your expectations? Well, I'm I'm looking forward to another web web gem, if you will. I mean, I think that uh, he's he's calm in the midst of storm, and that's that's what you want on the mound right now. And you know, he's prepared for this. I think our our, our bats have been a little cool. Our patience at the plate's been a little short, and this is the time to get more patient. This is the time to get you know drive the ball in the gaps and and play more of the game they've played all year. And I, I think in some ways it's good that they haven't been as strong offensively this series because tomorrow's the day to do it. And think about Walker Bueller going on three days rest for the first time in his career. You know, as an executive, you know, years ago, guys did it all the time. They did it during the regular season. Now you got guys who never do it, but it's such a dynamic arm. How tough of a call is that to have a guy do something in a do-or-die game that he's never done before? Well, I remember that came up for us. I mean, there was a time when we were – I think we were down – I want to say we were down to uh, Atlanta, and there was an opportunity where we could have thrown Linscombe early. And, uh, you know, we spent time with the debate and, you know, just wanting him at his best, willing to take the risk and give him an extra day. And we didn't do it. We, we let him pitch on regular rest. It worked out. I, I think the pressure and, and reality now, uh, you know, is, is very different. Um, I think that the expectations, um, the, the, the time is short and there's more risk being taken to, with that short rest. I, I, I have to say we were very successful not doing that except in the course of Bumgarner. And we did very little of it. And, but now the pressure is very different. And uh, I, I was really impressed. You know, he, he didn't pitch like he was on short rest. Well, whoever wins this game obviously is going to be a big favorite. But, Bobby, talk about, hey, records don't matter anymore. You're going to be in the NLCS, and the Atlanta Braves are coming, whether it's to San Francisco or to, uh, or to Los Angeles, they're coming in a hot team. No, they are, and they 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 really play. They played a very good Milwaukee team too, and they didn't. They made it look fairly easy. Uh, they, you know, that that home run by Freeman. You know, if that hadn't happened, of course, it could have gone either way, and they could have found a way to a game five. But uh, they they pitched well. They, they they their bats are alive. They've got great athletes on that team. They play a tough game. You know, inning one through nine. So, 
nobody's going to have it easy, but I, I, I do think the NL West team will be favored, whoever it is. And then let's break down ALCS. I mean, two right now powerhouses and the Astros, the Red Sox, they actually don't like each other either. Going to be explosive. How do you see that series? Well, Astros have the advantage. I mean, they've they've really crushed through uh, a very good White Sox team. And, you know, Dusty's hungry, and it's hard not to root for Dusty. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to see a, a tough series. Red Sox have, at some level, outperformed expectations. Uh, so the Astros are going to have an upper hand. But uh, at the same time, Red Sox have nothing to lose, and hopefully they'll play relaxed, and it'll make the, make the series tough. Plus, they have the home field advantage um, in Houston. So that's uh, – wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, am I right? Houston has a home field advantage, so you know that's that's an advantage, another advantage for Houston. But the Red Sox get those middle three games, and that's where they'll hopefully have the chance to do some damage for them. Yeah, just talk about the greatness that is Dusty Baker and his baseball career. I mean, you think about being on deck for Hank Aaron's famous home run. He started more games in left field than any other Dodger. You think about all the teams he's taken to the playoffs, five different teams, and it's just and what he's doing at this age and still loving it and still connecting with the players. Just talk about what a special baseball man he is. Yeah, I mean, it's just a generational uh you know, he transcends generations of the game. I mean, you know, I, you know, when we lost Hank Aaron, you felt like you didn't, we not only lost Hank Aaron, but we lost so many generations of connection to, to baseball tradition and history with, with loss of Hank. Well, well, Dusty's very connected to much of that history and very directly. And, uh, you know, what he's done as a manager, not to mention what he did as a player. And, and I think there's a reason why he was such a good fit in Houston. I mean, they were under, you know, very difficult circumstances, but but Dusty, between the respect that he gets from the players, from the respect he gets from fans and the media, you know, he he was able to you know help them focus the players focus on what they're supposed to do, and, and ultimately at some level even the media, you know, create new storylines uh, with his career and, and what he's accomplished and really what his goal was, which is to win a World Series. You know, another great career out there and a man you know well. And there's an opening in San Diego right now, and Bruce Bochy lives in San Diego, just outside in Alpine. Uh, thinking about Bruce Bochy getting back into the game and maybe with the Padres, your thoughts? Well, I talked with Bochy just uh, a little over a couple of weeks ago and he didn't tip his hand. And of course, at that point, they hadn't made a change. So I don't know what's transpired since, but I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, based on what they need, uh, you know, Bochy is a, is a great fit for a, a team ready to win right now. And, you know, he knows how to put the pieces together. I mean, nobody runs a bullpen you know, better than Boach over the course of, of our tenure together, um, not to mention his time in San Diego. Uh, he's from there. He's, he's managed that team before. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's got the right kind of personality. I mean, it, it's a lot like what Dusty brings to a Houston, already ready to win. You know, I think Boach can do the same in San Diego. I think he's a great candidate. You know, when I think about GMs that win World Series, some guys want to get back into it. Some guys don't. Where are you with your career and this offseason? W- would you even want to get back in? <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's, in, it's in my blood too much, I think, for sure. I think the right situation, though, you've got to have you know, an ownership uh, who's you know, ready to commit to doing the right thing for a franchise, the community, and, and its players. And, um, and again, there's, there's a lot of different transitions or changes happening in the game. And you know, I take into account every one of them, and, and maybe they'll be the right one at the right time. And, uh, th- my energy flows so heavy towards uh, that work. I, you know, it's hard to get my mind off of it. And um, we've had so much fun here in San Francisco that 
you know, I think just finding the next place to, to, to run it again would be fun. And there's just a lot of good people in the game that are, are great to work with. And you, you just miss the energy of, of watching players from the day they're signed, whether it be in Latin America or the draft and bringing them up through the, the system and the big leagues and, and ultimately seeing them be successful. And, and what that does for, you know, players' careers and families, but also the impact it makes on a community. I mean, uh, you know, we experienced nothing better than, than that, what we did here in San Francisco. So definitely ready for the next next run. Uh, just two more. And I wanted to get your perspective on this because one of the early things that's been, you know, told us in negotiations between the owners and the players, and it's something the players want, and I'm sure the owners are cool with it. There's also going to be, you know, we know the luxury tax and there's a couple of them and they try and keep teams from going over it year after year after year. But now they have floated out an actual floor where every team will have to spend X. Let's just say it's 90 to 100 million. So the days of tanking and you're only spending 32 million or 35, everybody would have to spend like 100 to 90 million. Do you like that idea for the game? You know, I, I think there's a lot to like about it just from the standpoint of, of you know, seeing clubs invest and, and they want to invest smartly and, and, and wisely. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to like, but I, I, I continue to be impressed with the, the, the ideas coming out of New York. I mean, some of them, there are ideas that have been collaborated on with the Players Association and then the, the commissioner's office comes back with response to those ideas. But I, I love the creativity. I love the potential of, of creating new systems that could make things a little more balanced. I mean, clearly they're un unbalanced right now to an extent economically. And, you know, I think the players want to find a way to narrow that gap. I don't know how much they can accomplish in one off season, but I think it, it's baseball showing its, its desire to find, you know, a happy medium and, you know, players want to get paid and want to have, uh, you know, they don't want to see clubs tanking. And if, if, if you award tanking with better draft picks and, and all these things, and yet they can carry, $30 million payrolls. Yeah. I don't know that that's good for the game. So I think it's, it's not something that they should dismiss out of hand. Well, and let's end on this. And it was fascinating when we talked to you about this in San Diego at the winter meetings, Egyptian baseball and not sure how everything's gone with COVID over there, but w where is our update with Egyptian baseball? Well, Kemp, Kemp golden uh, with, when it comes to Egyptian baseball, he, he, he got very creative during COVID and put together some great instructional videos, and and I, and I I made him repeat for me the number at some point where he got he's gotten well over six hundred thousand views of Egyptian kids looking at these videos. I I can't believe it. I mean, we we were just we were just trying to get to a thousand kids a couple of years ago. Now we now with these videos and COVID, we've been able to get over half a million, six hundred plus thousand kids looking at these instructional videos. And I, I think it opens up the opportunity for live baseball starting in the spring. Uh, that's their their plan. Uh, to re re uh, re institute the in person part of the instruction, and you know the sky's the limit. I think he's you know he's looking at the next country he wants to get into too, and I think uh, Egypt's uh, progress is pretty impressive. Well, it, it's a great story, and can't wait to see the first Egyptian big leaguer. And we know that you will definitely be a part of that. Hey, thank you for always coming on the program and giving us time. Let's talk this off season. Be well, be safe. You too, Chris. God bless. Bobby Evans, three-time World Series champion with the San Francisco Giants. And from Bobby Evans to another former Giant and former 
Dodger executive, now a scout with the San Jose Sharks, but he still does TV for the Dodgers. One of my all-time favorites. I've been interviewing him for years. Here is Ned Coletti. The great Ned Coletti is with us now here on A's Cast Live. And Ned, obviously we're going to start talking some baseball, but before you know it, our San Jose Sharks are ready to to, to, to strap it on and get it going. Oh, yeah. Coming up soon. Uh, good camp going on. A lot of enthusiasm, some good young players stepping up. So uh, can't wait to get it going. Yeah, explain to me, Ned, all these years – how many guys do you know other than yourself have been affiliated with the Nash with Major League Baseball and the National Hockey League? Like there can't be many of you. <laughs> I honestly I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Somebody who I'm certainly not in the same class with was Sam Pollock of the Montreal Canadiens, <laughs> who was their GM for a long time and then went to the Blue Jays and helped them win. But uh, that's uh, Sam, Sam was in a whole nother stratosphere than me. But uh, I'm blessed to have the opportunities I've had. And, and uh, it's, uh, you know, I know it every day and I'm honored every day. And uh, it's been it's been a wonderful, wonderful run in a lot of ways. So one of the first gigs I ever had, even before I ever met you, Ned, was I was covering the San Jose on KMBR. I was covering the San Jose Sharks. I actually got to San Jose before the Sharks existed to play baseball at San Jose State. So it was like, like you know, they played at the Cow Palace for the first couple of years. Yeah. And, and then they were at the, the Shark Tank, which obviously I've lived around you know my entire life when i think my adulthood you know when i think about hockey what comparisons can you have hockey and baseball well athletically um you know what i look for i look for the same thing i look for in baseball really i start with the feet and i work my way up you know how does somebody's feet work how do our hands work um what kind of compete level do they have what kind of compete level do they have when it's uh, the chips are down so to speak uh, what kind of compete level do they have when they've got a chance to, to win something? Uh, their decision-making, how fast is it? How good is it? But especially in hockey, how quick is it? If you're going 20 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, and you've got people around you doing the same, you know, your decision-making has got to be obviously split second, almost like a hitter with a pitcher, but uh, far more so because of contact and because of, of just how the game is played. But I've, I've always looked and tried to look uh, inside the, the jersey or inside the uniform to figure out who's in there and how they play. It's, it's no different than any other walk of life or friendships or anything like that. You know, you're always, you always want to know who, who is it, you know, who's the player, who's the person, but more so who's the person because we can all figure out who the players are. Obviously, uh, somebody with a passing interest in any sport can tell you who can play and who's great and who's a superstar. But at the end of the day, you really got to know what's inside of them, what motivates them, what sacrifices they're willing to make, how money may or may not change them, which is obviously something that's grown during my 40 years in baseball and my last three or four of working working in San Jose. So uh, it's a lot of those things that, that go and, and the compete level, you know, when you get to October in baseball or you get to end of April, May and June in hockey, you know, it's, uh, it's not made for everybody. Who's it made for? 
you know, I you know, I, I think about my career, you know, we talk about, you know, Owen Olin or, or Patty Marlowe or George Thornton. You know, you think uh, my, my buddy Jeff Friesen, who I played a lot of golf with. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, Ned, I was so nervous the first time down at the AT&T when I interviewed Wayne Gretzky, knowing how great he was, like literally for a – you know, you, you think about North American athlete. There's really been no one like him. How dominant where he has more assists than anyone that has points. And he's playing with Dustin Johnson, who's married to his daughter. And I just, I remember interviewing Wayne just going, this is greatness. Like people oh, don't yeah. understand, like this guy is clearly the most dominant. You can talk Tom Brady. You can talk Michael Jordan. We have never seen someone more dominant than Wayne Gretzky. Uh, I agree. And not only on the ice, but um, I'm pretty sure that your conversation with him was not a tough conversation. No, uh, Ned, Ned, my- you actually, like a couple hours later, was arm in arm with my brother at, at the bar at Pebble Beach. It was like, this guy's incredible. You know, he's, he really expanded the league. He's not only a, a, a obviously iconic athlete and hockey player, but he really, when you see the where the league has, has been very successful in the last 20, 25 years, I guess, since he first started playing in Indianapolis and then went to Edmonton and, and then came to L.A., you know, the, the, southern, the southern part of the NHL, a lot of the credit, I think, goes to Wayne Gretzky because yeah. of his mannerisms. He not only was a great player, but he helped to promote the sport with his grace and with his kindness and certainly with his play, but just with his the way he he reacted all the time. You know, I met him in spring training a handful of times when he was in Edmonton. They would come through. I was with the Cubs at the time, and it's like they had a game on the East Coast, maybe in D.C. or something on a Sunday night, and they weren't playing back in Edmonton until Saturday. So in the, in the dead of winter, to stay out of the cold and give their guys a chance to do a little bit more bonding and, and, and hang out in some warm weather, they'd come to Phoenix. And they'd come to batting practice at, at Mesa where the Cubs were at. So I had a chance to meet him a couple springs and, and his teammates and talk to his teammates about him. I mean, he's a you know was a big baseball fan, took BP, pretty good baseball player too, from what I understand. But just the way they they respected his his game and his reverence towards themselves and towards the sport, and towards other people, no matter who you were, uh, phenomenal. I saw him a couple of years ago. There was an outdoor game at Dodger Stadium. And uh, and he came as part of the promotion to it. The uh, the Kings and the Ducks played, and uh, it was so cool looking out my office window and seeing a a hockey arena being built out in uh, you know on the infield and the, the <laughs> short part of the outfield, you know. But Crazy. there he was, and uh, you know, just somebody that exuded class and understood understood what he what he was asked to do, really, and what he needed to do, and and I'm sure he did it, uh, you know. Well, 99% of the user, 99, 99% of the time with, with, a you know, with a lot of enthusiasm towards doing it. You know, and I think about your, your great career and being around people. And I, 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 I rarely tell this story. It was, you know, before we get into giants and Dodgers and what's happening here, it was, it was right before COVID I'm in Burling game. And this is when I wasn't working for the A's. I was working for the radio station and I was on a, uh, a sales call, you know, trying to pitch something. Barry Bonds walked down the street and no one knew who he was. Mm. I, only guy. 
Now you think about that net in Burlingame. He walks down the street. He had a couple people with him. Not one people notice. It's like, I think about his career and whether you love him or you don't, however you feel indifferent, I I don't think that a a better player, and I want you to talk to this because you watched it. You know the data. You know the analytics. I don't think there's been a better player who's ever walked the earth. I uh, people ask me all the time who are the best players that I've seen play and the best players that I've I've seen play consistently because I worked in that franchise or they were in the same division and you see them all the time. Um, I'm going to start with Willie Mays, who I saw through my early years and my teenage years for a minute. Uh, But Barry was uh, a genius. I think the the greatest hitter and baseball player I've seen. up close on a daily basis was Barry. The greatest pitcher was Greg Maddox. Um, both both players had a um, a photographic memory and could recall and could read situations in an instant better than anybody I had seen in that sport. Kind of like Gretzky in a way. His his understanding of where where the where the game was at that precise second, not minute, but precise second and. Uh, you know, my first year in San Francisco a long time ago now, uh, you know, I'd, I'd try and talk to Barry a couple times and, uh, you know, got nowhere. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not that tall, but I'm not invisible, you know. But uh, <laughs> the, the next year in spring training, we had a, a casual conversation. And really from that moment on, it was um, it was a, it was great. It was uh, I had I got to the point where if I was walking through the clubhouse and he had that, that little area there, two or three lockers, uh, that, that were kind of his little domain. Uh, I'd had a, I had to figure out when to walk by there because there was a chance that I would need 10 or 15 minutes because if he saw me and had something on his mind or a question or a, a conversation he was looking to have, you know, I was, I was going to get pulled into it. And, uh, and it was just an honor to watch him play. People for, sometimes, you know, they, you see the home runs and the power and this and that. But he was an excellent defensive player. He might have been the best left fielder I've ever seen. And I saw his early days in Pittsburgh when he was leading off and playing center field for the Pirates. But he may have been the best left fielder I've ever seen. And sometimes that position can get left out when you talk about great defense. But he was so good at it, especially balls down the line where he would he would pivot and, and turn and fire to second base. Excellent. And also his ability to run the bases. Think about how many stolen bases oh. this man has, God. along with the power. You know, in L.A., we talk, I talk a lot about Trey Turner, somebody that's got power and speed and has someone who's, who scouts and evaluates for decades. You know, it, it's a rare combination to have. But you look at Barry Bonds and the power and the speed that he had. It's like, who does this, you know? But really a phenomenal player. And Greg, the same way as a pitcher. I was the only GM to ever trade for Greg. I did it twice and uh, was with him when we drafted him in Chicago in his first six years in the big leagues. And uh, again, just genius at what they do and how they think, how they see things, how they can react and how they can execute something to be successful because of the, the knowledge and the thought process that they, that they possess. And, you know, skills that they'll never lose and, and skills that probably would, would frustrate them if they were managers because they they could probably never find anybody close to doing what they did. Yeah, Ned, I remember that poster when you're looking like like at Willie Mays, Andre Dawson, Barry Bonds. I mean, guys that got 300 home runs and 300 stolen bases. 
and he just flew by that like it was unbelievable. And, you know, I think about your time with the Giants. It reminds me of Oakland because obviously, you know, where we're at with Billy Bean, David Forrest, Steve Vucinich is retiring now after 54 years. Just continuity works in professional sports. And I know that you and, and you and Brian are, are, I mean, what you guys did in San Francisco, I'll always respect. And and, and I understand, even though I'm the A's guy, I, I, I understand. Just, just, just talk about what that, that, the continuity of having the right people, right place, right time, how it works and helps you win. Well, it's, it's interesting that you would bring that up. Uh, I teach at Pepperdine besides the TV with the Dodgers and the, and the San Jose Sharks scouting responsibilities. I'm, I'm still teaching at Pepperdine. It's my fifth, sixth year doing that. And I, one of the classes I teach is about developing a, a sports culture of sustained success and how do you do it. And it's, it's always about the people and it's about the leadership. And also, as you just said, the consistency. The consistency of leadership. One of the guests I have in class every semester is is uh, Jim Rooney, uh, godson of Art Rooney and, and son of Dan Rooney with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You look at them; they've had three coaches in probably fifty years, and and the consistency of leadership is, is right there, as well as as well as the um, um, the 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 willingness to to really get diverse in your organization. And, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you look at their history, for about 30 years, they were one of the worst teams in the sport. And then uh, black sports writer Bill Nunn went to, went to Art Rooney and said, hey, you're, you're, missing, you're missing some great players. And if you look at those Steelers that won the first Super Bowl, a lot of that was, was built from drafting players from historically black colleges and universities. And so they're, they're, they're pioneering almost to, to expand the field of talent and people and, and great people uh, was was grown. And because of that, they became ultra successful. And if you, you look at other sports, the same thing. So I think the consistency of leadership and really the, the ability to pioneer beyond what people typically think or do is, is invaluable to success. And the continuity that we had in San Francisco was was excellent. You know, I was there for 11 years. We had two managers, and, and Dusty managed, I think, maybe nine of my 11 years there. And, you know, Brian and I worked together all those years. And, and you know, Dick Tidrell, God bless him, same thing. You know, there was yeah. there was a group of, of, of three uh, in, the, in the front office with a lot of support from a lot of great young people that are, are still in the game and, and had great had and have great careers. But the consistency in life is important. The balance of life is important. And, and how you think, and not only just thinking out of the box, like, like your A's, like, like Billy and David have done for years, uh, but to be able to, to think like they think and to be able to execute and to be able to, to think differently than others is, is really a defining, I think, what defines great organizations. Consistency, being diverse in your thought process and, and who you hire and who you trust and who you rely on, and also your 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 ingenuity to look at things differently and through different windows and have the courage to do it. Okay. Not everything's going to work, but you have to have the courage to try it, to do it and, and to know if it's going to work or if it's not going to work after you've tried it. And if it hasn't worked, you have to have the courage to say, Hey, you know what? We, uh, we tried something that's not working. So we're going to try something else. And that's, that's part of success, but you it's know, uh, it's been a pleasure to, to, to know the people I know. 
Yeah, you know, no doubt. And I think about your great career, and you know, I think about Billy Bean, and I've talked to Doug Wilson about this, and and I remember Dave Pert, who was a VP of the Niners back in the day, and people, you know, obviously the book gets written, and we got the movie and the whole thing, but obviously what Billy Bean has done and David Forrest with him has been special. You know, when you think back of your career, uh, you think about with the Dodgers or you think of, you know, the greatness that you, you guys had there in San Francisco. What was it like dealing with the A's back in those days and knowing that they've written a book, they've done a movie? What was it like? Um, great question. You know, I, I had so many enjoyable conversations with Billy. You know, I, I knew um, Paul D. Podesta a little bit better than than Dave. Um, but Billy, it was always great conversation. We'd see him in spring training. You know, he'd be, we'd go over to, to Phoenix to watch our, you know, Giants play the A's and, and sit with Billy and talk to Billy. And when I became the GM, you know, I, I knew Billy very, very well. And I, and I knew that he was really good at what he does, you know. <laughs> and uh, my first deal, uh, you know, I traded for Andre Ethier. I traded him Milton Bradley and another player for Andre Ethier, who turned out to be, Obviously, a mainstay with the Dodgers for over a decade. By the way, you won that, Ned. But <laughs> irregardless of that, of, of who won what, you know, it's, I always enjoyed talking to him. And, and, and kind of like Barry in a way, you know, it, if I saw his number come up on my cell phone or vice versa, you know, I knew I had to have some time because we would get through with the business or whatever, whatever the topic was that prompted the call. But there was going to be a lot more conversation that followed. And, uh, you know, I, I miss seeing him. I, I texted him maybe six months ago just to check in and see how he was doing. Uh, I miss talking to him uh, because he was he was fun to talk to. There was always there was always some laughter inter, interspersed in our conversations. And, uh, you know, the more people you know of, of the ilk of, of Billy and, and, and David and, and Paul and, and certainly Saves, you know, the better you get. Because if you're paying attention, and you're listening to conversations, and I lo- I've learned for years that I learned nothing by talking. I only learn by listening and by watching. But uh, you can learn a lot by, from guys like like uh, Sabes and Billy. And uh, you know, I, it was such a great time, great time to to be in that in the Bay Area and to to do it. I, you know, I I actually turned the Giants down uh, when they offered me the position uh, back in uh, 1994, I think it was. And because um, I wasn't sure, I'd been to San Francisco and the Barrier many times with the Cubs, but I, I just wasn't sure. You know, the cost of housing and, and everything else, and the Giants had almost moved to Tampa, not too uh, not too long before I, I interviewed for the job. But you know, Bob Coon was a GM, and, and he was great to me. And Brian kind of convinced me and, and uh, said, "Look, we we got a chance to do some things here. We really need you." And so you know, I made the move, and I'm so glad I did. It's been it's been one of the highlights of my career and of my life. Uh, I never, ever, growing up in Chicago, thought I would live a minute in California. <laughs> and here I am, 26, 27 years into my California days and 40 years in baseball. So Hell, California, living in L.A. I remember we did the interview. You was like, you can't live on an 8, a 5, a 10, the freeway. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you this about Brian Sabian. See, Brian was never nice to me. And... You know, as a media person, you got to get over it. Um, 
Brian was really salty to deal with in, in, in a lot of ways back in the days of KMBR. But uh, I think Billy, Billy Bean and Brian Sabian are two guys that we should have in the Baseball Hall of Fame. They're both oh, goodness. Baseball, yes. Like, right? No, it's like no question. Yeah, uh, if yeah, you're asking you're asking somebody that would vote for that in a heartbeat on both cases. You know, Billy has changed the game uh, with his with with analytics, certainly with Moneyball, and with a lot of different things and thought process, and has has been doing it for decades. Uh, you know, players who were rookies when when he first started in the executive role, high up there with Sandy Alderson. You know, their careers are long over. You know, I mean, they're they probably exhausted their Hall of Fame eligibility as as former players, even. Uh, and and Brian, you know, four World Series appearances, three championships, the first three in um, in the history of the San Francisco part of the franchise. I mean, epic stuff. I mean, that's that's not easy to do. The giant teams that that he constructed, and I was there for eleven of them. Uh, but even the ones that I I, con- I competed against from L.A. were. You know, they were so good and so thoughtful. You know, I can't tell you how many times uh, I'd, I'd have to think in the same manner of saves, uh, and, and it paid off for me handsomely in a lot of different ways. But we, I think we we taught each other a lot. I know he taught me a bunch, and uh, we still stay in touch quite a bit. And uh, you know, a couple of times a month, probably, and some months four or five times. So. Really, uh, bordering on genius as well in his thought process and his deliberation. You know, I would go to him in February with an idea and sit across from me, and he just kind of look at me, and he wouldn't say anything. And you know, and we talked probably 360 days a year, and might be October, November, and he'd say, "Hey, come on in here for a minute." I'd go in his office, and he'd say, "You remember what you brought to me in February about so and so?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Let's do it." I mean, it was like. Didn't forget anything, and his his ability to project and to see things, and to know one of his greatest traits, I think, is his ability to know when to do something. You know, uh, decision making. Most GMs, managers, you know, executives, whatever, whoever has decision making in their life, personal, professional, uh, they're they're graded or evaluated on the result of the decision, right? I mean, we all know that, no matter what it is, personal, professional. Nobody I've been around, I've been around a lot of great managers and, and other GMs, either in the same room or as, as part of the team or or um, just in competing against. Nobody I know had a has a better feel for knowing when to make the decision. Because when is a huge part of the decision. Not everything can be done the day you think about it. It takes time. It takes it takes a lot of precise thinking. It takes exchanges. He and I used to talk for. We would take walks on the road for sometimes two hours a day, and sometimes we talk for 120 minutes. Sometimes we talk for five minutes, but we we challenge thought process. It was one of the great great things that we were able to do, uh, and really grow our our experiences, our conversations. And and really, when you look at the the giant teams from '97 when he became the GM, uh, all the way through, you know they had some payroll at some point in time, but not always. The candlestick years were were not not necessarily rich with funding, and nor, and nor were some of the early years at, at the uh, new ballpark, which 
it's no longer a new ballpark. I'll, I'll always think of it as a new ballpark. But you had to be creative. You had to be thoughtful. You had to make the right moves, again, at the right time. And nobody in my career has been better at that than he is. Nobody. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say this, that uh, we're old enough to remember um, what you meant. Yeah, there's a lot of there. there there's going to be a lot of credit to Brian Sabian. There's going to be a lot of credit to Barry Bonds and the transition from as someone who did the last post game show ever at Candlestick Park, and I did the first pregame show at Pac Bell Park. What you meant to that franchise, Ned, I know, and that's one of the reasons why we, you know, obviously we can talk Dodgers Giants is going to be big, but. What you meant for that franchise and behind the scenes, <laughs> I, I, I know. And that's one of the things that I will always respect about you and, you know, you know your opportunity with the Dodgers. But you were a big part of what happened with the San Francisco Giants, and that should always be remembered. Well, I, I thank you very much for your, for your scouting report and for your memory to it all. You know, it's, um, it's always been an honor for me. I take nothing for granted. I lived in a remodeled garage till I was five, six years old. Uh, I had wonderful parents. My dad died a young man. And um, I just, I, I still go at it the same way. You know, I have three full-time jobs. I'm getting near uh, the sunset of my professional career. Uh, and none of the, I would guess that none of the three jobs that I have and the people that uh, I report to would tell you that I've sacrificed that position for the other two. So I, I take everything I do with with a lot of passion and a, and a lot of sincerity, and I never want to disappoint. And uh, my time in San Francisco will always be precious to me, always. Just the, the way that um, I grew to love the region, the area, the city, the people. Some of my best friends uh, are there. I, I talk to people in the Giants organization. I left 16 years ago, Chris. That's a long yeah. time. And, and I still have dear friends in that organization or some that have – have left the organization to do other things, but it'll, again, it, you know, it's, it's always about the people and it's always about the people you meet and, and the reactions you have and the kindness people show and that you show them and the gratitude you show them and the gratitude they show back and the grace that you give to them and the grace that they give to you. It's all, you know, it's, it's important to me. And I, I, I've been blessed beyond measure in my life and my career to have the chances that I've had Without a sponsor, I had nobody who would open a door for me or nobody who'd make a call for me. I didn't, I didn't have that type of, of early career, early life. I had to work for everything. I've never been the smartest person in any room. But you know what? Give me a chance to compete and give me a chance to work hard. You know, I'll take anybody on type of thing, you know? So I thank you for the, for the, uh, the thoughts. That was, that was very kind of you, and I, well, no, it's, I'm honored it's... to have had a chance to do that. It's well-deserved. And let's end on this. You know, I think about the Dodgers, you know, eight years winning the division, which had never happened in the National League West. And the fact that they had to go through the wild card game. I know my friends up here, you know, I, you know, Ned, I don't like the Giants being an ace guy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rooting for him. Uh, I don't think you want to face these guys. I mean, just, just talk about, I mean, this is a Dodger team that's been through a lot. They're really battle-hardened. Well, you don't want to face who? The Dodgers or the Giants? I don't want to face the Dodgers. If I was yeah, the Giants, I, I would agree with you. 
I would agree with you on that. Giants have had a phenomenal season. Nobody, it's, it's probably one of the most remarkable seasons I've ever seen. And, and so much credit from the players and the veteran players, to, you know, the Posies, Crawfords, Belts, Ruffs, veteran guys, Johnny Quato, so many. And, and great young players and the job far hands done and Gabe's done and the coaching staff, including Ronnie Wotus, my dear friend for decades. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll come down to how well they pitch and how well they that bullpen, which has been great, how well that bullpen will pitch late. Because the Dodgers are a relentless crew, and you get to that sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and if the, if the Giants happen to have a, a small lead, couple runs, run, tie game, they had better be able to pitch and make pitches and have courage to do it because Dodgers will make you pay. We saw it the other night. You know, Chris Taylor had, I think, eight hits in his last 72 at bats going back five weeks. We saw what happens, and they have a lot of people capable of doing that, plus the experience. To your point, Chris, eight, eight division champions in a, in a row, nine trips you know, into October, plus trips before that, too. Not, not some of these, but you know, Kenley and, and Clayton, certainly. But there's so much experience, and there's such a calmness and a confidence with this group. You know, candidly, I, I, I don't know who in the National League beats them. You know, I've been spending more time in the American League the last couple of weeks knowing that we were going to have to talk about it at some point in time on the air, hopefully. But, you know, I, I don't know anybody in the National League that can pitch consistently well enough to beat them. It can't be six innings. You could throw six innings and no-hit baseball. Perfect game through six. If you're up by one and the starting pitcher comes out, means very little at that point in time. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, you know, I think about this roster, and your fingerprints are still on this roster on this day. And I think about Clayton Kershaw and, and, and your relationship with him. And what we'll end on this is that, you know, some people up here have said, so I'll tell you this, Ned. Last year when we got into the postseason, I was like the A's or whoever. Whoever wins this championship is going to be one of the most unique and toughest championships to ever win. These guys are getting tested every day. These guys are in a bubble. They can't be around their families. Like, And then all of a sudden, Ed, we've got up here people going, oh, the Dodgers, they won a weak championship. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Truly what the Dodgers did last year, and I'll throw the Rays in there. I think all of us who made the postseason, it was literally the toughest championship because of COVID and testing and death and bubbles and everything that we dealt with, I, the, the people who try and like throw the Dodgers under the bus, not being a great team last year, they're wrong. Well, I, I can't, and I'm not going to disagree. I, I, I'm right with you. It was a very, very trying year in every walk of life for anybody I know in any field of life or any part of life. And uh, so many different challenges. And, uh, you know, that's they won what they needed to win. And they also they also got shorted a little bit and they haven't forgotten it. They didn't have a parade. They didn't have, you know, what the Giants had you know, in those three years, uh, those three championships. They, they missed that. They had none of that. They had none of the celebration inside a, a massive city that that loves them uh, to enjoy it. Everybody went home. And the, and the game six celebrated on the field, everybody went home. 
And so that also lives with these guys. They've talked about it to me all year long that they need, they need a chance to, to, to celebrate it and to, to exhale with, with a chance to be world, world series champions that they, that they kind of missed out on last year. They did everything they needed to do. 60 game season, expand the playoffs. Nobody had, they had the same rules everybody else had and they, they, they survived everybody and won it, but they also lost out on, on some things. And I'm, I'm sure the, the, you know, the Bay area fans don't really care about that, but you know, that's, that's their moniker and that that's what they think. And that's how they go about it. And that that's what people are probably going to see in these next three, four weeks. Well, Ned, you know, everything back here with us, we're always going to think of you as a great executive with the, uh, with the San Francisco Giants and now with our San Jose Sharks. Be well, be safe, my friend, and hopefully the Dodgers keep winning. We'll talk to you later on the postseason. All right, Chris. Thank you so much for the time and the, and the conversation that I love talking to you. The great Ned Coletti right here on A's Cast Live. Well, we'd like to thank Jim Duquette, Bobby Evans, and Ned Coletti for stopping by and giving us their great insight into the game. That's what it's all about on A's Cast Live and A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.